Attention foodies, Discovery Plus has what you're hungry for. With new original series and a supersized collection of favorites, Discovery Plus has the largest collection of food shows anywhere. With new exclusives like Bobby and Jada in Italy and Luda Can't Cook, the streaming service for everyone hungry for more. More cooking, more competition, more originals, all for only $4.99. Discovery Plus is the streaming home of food, plus so much more. Start your free trial. Welcome to episode 32 of How We Win. The best antidote to anxiety is action. We need your help and we're going to get through this together. This week, while we are staying home and staying safe, we want to make sure that you are informed about important issues and give you some great TV to watch since you've already finished up Tiger King. So today's episode is going to focus on the Equal Rights Amendment. We're going to hear from ERA expert and host of the Ordinary Equality podcast, Kate Kelly, who will tell us about the history of the ERA and where we are now. But wait, there's more. We've also got an interview with Emmy award-winning writer and producer, Davi Waller. She's the creator of the upcoming Hulu series about the struggle for and opposition to the ERA, Mrs. America. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is is How We Win. How's your week been, Mariah? Um, it even <laughs> listen. Even when you're sitting at home, the times that we're living in make it feel like so much is going on yeah. that uh, it just feels like a hectic week already. And we're we're recording this. It's only Tuesday. Only Tuesday afternoon, and by all accounts, this is going to be the hardest week, hardest couple of weeks yet. So, hoping that you're Staying healthy, staying safe, staying home, following the good direction of your local government, <laughs> depending on where you live, and and just you know helping each other out the best that you can as we navigate this uh, this virus. Yeah, I you know we talk a lot about the like the the heroes of all of this, and we talk very correctly about the healthcare workers and the delivery drivers and the grocery store employees. Today, my heroes are the voters in Wisconsin who are at this very moment lined up around blocks trying to vote. Yeah. uh, Last week, we talked to Ben Wickler, the chair of the Wisconsin Democratic Party. And, And that interview was so great. And rife with so much uncertainty. So much Mm -hmm. has changed since then. There's been three court cases. The Supreme Court stepped in in a predictable five to four decision um, with all of the all the liberal judges dissenting. They overturned a decision to extend the deadline for uh, for votes to come in, for mail mail in votes to come in and Mm -hmm. putting at risk all these voters who now have to show up at a, a very limited amount of polls around Wisconsin. It's just been crazy. We can't even get into it. I mean, there's so, so much there, but everyone should be paying attention to what's going on in Wisconsin right now because um, this is your little sneak peek to how Republicans will attack uh, your voting rights come November. 
And they're a sneak peek. They're not being sneaky about it. I mean, in Milwaukee, <laughs> in Milwaukee, they went from 180 polling places to five. Uh, so that, you know, so as, as per usual, the lines are in the places where voters of color are, where low income voters are, where urban voters are. There's no lines in 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 rural polling places no. at, at the, as of this hour in Wisconsin. So you know, RBG on the Supreme Court calling people out, basically saying this is voter suppression. But it's what we have to all keep an eye out as the pandemic changes every aspect of our lives, including how we vote, and really join the continued calls for expanded vote by mail. Yes, just for the sake of our democracy, you know, this isn't something that's going to benefit necessarily Democrats or Republicans. We really don't know. Um, but this will benefit democracy to make access to the ballot available for everyone in this era of COVID-19. And um, uh, Elizabeth Warren just put out a really good plan. Speaker Pelosi's working really hard to get it into the next uh, stimulus bill, um, money for the states to implement vote by mail along with um, extended days to vote. I believe Elizabeth Warren's plan is for 30 days and money for the states to implement these things. So call your reps, have your friends call your reps. This is, um, and, and, you know, to some Republicans credit, they are backing this. Some, some Republicans are backing this because like I said, it's not strategic for Republicans to suppress this, even though Trump came out and said, well, if you have vote by mail, then Republicans would never win another election. And that's not necessarily true, especially when you have so many older voters who are really impacted by this virus and aren't able to get out to the polls. By the way, Donald Trump just registered to vote by mail in Florida. So, <laughs> you know, if it's good enough for him he's, and he's not worried about fraud in Florida, then he shouldn't be worried about voter fraud in your state either. So we, we need every... If we need everybody to have the same opportunity that he does to vote by mail. That is right. And speaking of Florida, there's been some great news out of there. The federal appeals panel just upheld the injunction in Florida's Amendment 4 case that found that requiring the plaintiffs to pay fees and fines before voting violates the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. What does that mean? So the last election in Florida, they voted to allow felons who have served their time to be able to vote, to re-enfranchise and, and be eligible to vote. And this was a essentially a poll tax on felons that required them to pay any fees and fines that they owed after they mm -hmm. were released from prison before they were eligible to vote. And right. um, that federal appeals panel just upheld the injunction on that case. That was a big a big win for us. That's a slippery slope right there to say that, you know, <laughs> that because you owe because you owe money, you can't vote like where can can can't you see that going someplace else that we absolutely can't have it going? Yeah, no, just it was another blatant attempt to suppress the vote in Florida in a very key, as we all know, battleground state that looks to be defeated. So that's good news. Excellent news. Well done, Florida. How often do you get to say that? <laughs> a, lot. a lot. When it I... comes to when it comes to voting, I love Florida. But <laughs> they, uh, you always kind of hold your breath on election day there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, 
on the beaches right now. Hold your breath and wear masks and stay off the beaches, everyone in Florida. Come on. Good advice. <laughs> now, uh, overwhelmingly, people are following the orders now, and mm-hmm. um, and that's really, really great, um, really important. And like I said, it's going to be a tough few weeks. This is not slowing down right now. Uh, I have uh, enjoyed a respite from Trump's briefings. I don't watch them anymore. I may hmm. catch some some clips afterwards to know what's you know salient or what I need to take away from that. But um, they are just big propaganda rallies. He doesn't get to go do his rallies, and um, and you know it's just it's shameful. It's just it just makes me mad. It just makes me angry to hear him like railing against the press and talking about how he's number one on Facebook. He's not, and you know just all of this little bullshit petty stuff while while there's people who are really hurting no since no notion of of compassion for any anyone that's really hurting from this no his focus is never on the on the right thing on the most humane thing for sure and the most frustrating part is that you can't take anything that you hear at those briefings for granted or with a grain of salt you have to all like you have to be suspicious about everything that he says. And it's hard to fact check things right now because there's so much information flying around, but everything that he says, you're just thinking, okay, what is he actually, what is the agenda behind this? Why is he pushing some sort of miracle cure? Or why is he pushing these numbers that nobody's ever heard of before? Or you just have to really, and you have to question who's standing next to him up there. And this is really not the time for that, but it's, you know, it's the time for us to be aware and be vigilant. Yes. And one thing that we really should be aware of, and, um, you know, people talk about this all the time, don't look at what he says, look at what he does. Mm. So um, Trump recently fired the inspector general in charge of oversight for this recent stimulus package. Mm-hmm. And, right, uh, right. A few days after firing the inspector general who notified Congress that there was a whistleblower in the Ukraine call investigation. He really wants loyal inspector generals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what he wants. Yeah. And um, but that's this is uh, as as big a five alarm fire as, as we ought to be paying attention to and something that could easily get overlooked. Um, thankfully, a lot of news outlets are are doing some great reporting on it. The key person in charge of oversight has been removed and replaced with um, one of Trump's friends. So uh, let's pay attention to that. Will do. I've got my eye on them. Get on that. (laughs) (laughs) I want to ask you, um, what shows you're watching while you've been at home? What are you binging on? Oh, oh my goodness. Um, I finished The Outsider, which was so scary. The Outsider? Yeah. It's a a Stephen King adaptation on HBO. Very good. What have you been watching? Well, we've been binging uh, Game of Thrones with our daughter. (laughs) Okay. We're both lean, really leaning into like the real the, the ethos of the moment. It gets dark. She has yeah. a, she's 17. So, uh, you know, season 1 is pretty racy. There's been some awkward uh <laughs> awkward Steve, episodes. I'm 30 something and I could not watch that show as my parents. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it, but um we were, have been watching that and we've been watching Twin Peaks. 
And and new one or old one? The old one, the original okay. Twin Peaks, um, which is on cool. Netflix. And um, and so Lucy, my daughter, who is an aspiring editor, um, edited together clips from Game of Thrones with the Twin Peaks music on it, and it's what we need <laughs> right now. It's so good. <laughs> That's hilarious. But I'm also very excited about a new show coming to Hulu. I've been excited about this show since I first saw the trailer and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I know who that is and I know who that is and I know who that is. (laughs) It looks so good. I'm excited. We're going to hear all about it from the creator of the show, Davi Waller. Can't wait. Before we do that, we're going to dig into the ERA and where we are now with that with Kate Kelly, who... yeah. We've been getting ERA updates for decades now, and she's going to give us the latest. (laughs) She's going to give us the latest. We had a a conversation with her a few weeks ago, and I've been excited to to get that out there. Before we do that, though, let's get everyone into action. Um, We have our letter writing party. If you listened last week, then you know we have adopted a virtual national letter writing party. It's Mm -hmm. going to be on April 16th. April 16th. We'll have a link on our website, on the podcast website. But sign up and uh, and write some letters with us. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, Steve and I will both be there writing letters. I might be typing mine because my handwriting is so bad. But maybe I'll print it on fancy paper or something. Well, we'll write letters and we'll try to write them legibly. And um, and we also at Swing Left have letter writing parties going on. There's like three or four of them a week from uh, now through the end of the month and, and in the future to make sure that you guys have lots of stuff to do when you're sitting at home and you want to make a difference. These letters are great. So if you can't make it to our letter writing party on the 16th, then go on to swingleft.org and find a time that works for you. And uh, and write some letters to some voters, y'alls. But I really hope people can make it on the 16th. It's going to be so much fun. It'll be nice to see people's faces on the Zoom. Yeah, yeah. Taking, taking song requests now. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are also going to ask you, you know, on your, on your next Zoom happy hour uh, or when you're texting folks to check in with them, mention to your friends uh, that this this podcast is still going strong and there are ways for them to get activated and we're telling them all about it and we have interesting guests and cool topics yeah we did so great in february literally doubling our subscribers with the phone a friend february so um you know we want to do that again in april we we are building a great megaphone here we've really appreciated all the engagement and everyone who subscribes uh, we want to make sure that everyone's getting this content and um, getting these action items every week so please get another friend to subscribe grab well i guess you can't grab their phone now you have to send them a text with the link that's the best way yeah. to do it how we win podcasts wherever they get their podcasts don't grab people's phones that's just you're just going to pass along Grab it, sanitize it. (laughs) Sanitize it. Do your thing, sanitize it again, and hand it back over. There you go. Now let's dig into the ERA and our interview with Kate Kelly. (laughs) 
Kate Kelly is a human rights attorney, zealous advocate, passionate activist. She founded Ordain Women, which advocates for gender equality in the Mormon church. She was subsequently excommunicated from the church, but her fight for gender equality continues with Ordain Women and the Ordinary Equality podcast, which is all about the Equal Rights Amendment. You should subscribe and listen as soon as you finish this podcast. Kate, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Of course. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, So why don't we start with an update on where the Equal Rights Amendment, or ERA, is now. We had this major victory in Virginia last year, and then things quieted down, and then we all got sidetracked. Yeah. So there's a lot to sidetrack us these days. Uh, But the Equal Rights Amendment was actually ratified this year in Virginia in January So we just had the 38th state ratify, and Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution just says that you have to have three-fourths of the state, and that's 38. So we just met the requirement, the constitutional requirement, to get the Equal Rights Amendment finally Mm -hmm. after all these years into the Constitution. So that's a huge victory, especially since women have been fighting for this literally for a century now. (laughs) Yeah, a long time. (laughs) Yeah. So ratified in January, does that mean that it will become a constitutional amendment automatically? There are what I like to call some outstanding legal issues. Mm. Uh, So the most recent amendment to the Constitution, the 27th Amendment, was ratified in 1992, and it was ratified after 202 years. So it was first proposed by James Madison And then uh, over 200 years later, it got ratified and put into the Constitution. And the way that it gets put into the Constitution is literally just the 38th state ratifies, and then uh, it gets certified by the archivist and published in the Federal Register, and then it's in the Constitution. That's what happened with the last amendment. The Equal Rights Amendment differs slightly in that it had a deadline Uh, attached to it. So the Madison Amendment, this most recent one, never had any deadline attached to it. And the ERA, when it was first passed in Congress in 1972, had a seven-year deadline attached to it. It was in the proposing clause, so it wasn't in the language that all the states ratified. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are still folks out there who say, okay, what about this deadline? Like, there was a deadline. Do deadlines count? Uh, Can you ratify after the deadline? So the deadline was extended by Congress uh, Mm -hmm. when it was approaching in the late 70s and they needed three more states and they were getting kind of desperate, uh, there was this huge movement, you know, 100,000 people marching in Washington to extend the deadline on the Equal Rights Amendment. And they did that. So they moved the deadline from 1979 uh, to 1982. Uh, The 1982 deadline came and went and they were still three states short. Mm -hmm. So the rate, the most recent states that have ratified, the first one was Nevada, you know, in this modern era, uh, were, was Nevada in 2017, Illinois in 2018, and now Virginia in 2020. So those are the states that have ratified it past this original deadline. Mm-hmm. And so the question now is, how do we get those states' ratifications in? How do we count them? Uh, Does it count? Uh, And those questions are sort of being worked out now, both in the courts and in Congress. And you're getting plenty of pushback, um, as always has been the case with this particular amendment from a lot of Republican lawmakers. Why? Why? 
why are they pushing back on this? Like, you know, <laughs> this why, seems like, an, it's, seems like a no-brainer. <laughs> just tell me why. I mean, it's, it's such a no-brainer of an amendment and um, something that on its face time should have come, as you said, 100 years ago. What's their argument? So there are actually some Republicans who support the Equal Rights Amendment. You'd be surprised to hear that in Virginia, uh, it actually passed in the Senate five times before it passed in both houses this year. Uh, and in the Senate, it was actually the chief sponsor in the Senate last year was actually a Republican. A, a GOP man uh, was the one who sponsored the ERA ratification resolution. And that's the same. The same was true in Illinois. Uh, the, it's a bipartisan bill in the U.S. Senate currently to eliminate the deadline. So there are Republicans who support gender equality. Period. And actually, interestingly, uh, until 1976, the Equal Rights Amendment was on the the national political platform of both political parties. So it was on the Republican national platform to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment until the mid-70s. So it had this widespread bipartisan support. Of course, that was a very different time uh, when it came to cooperation between the parties, but it shows you that it's actually a pretty universal concept, uh, and the idea was wildly popular. So Republicans today, what really changed uh, in the mid-70s was there uh, was a ramping up of these culture wars. There was uh, a movement started by a woman named Phyllis Schlafly. Uh, mm -hmm. who started a movement called Stop ERA. So that was oh, an right. acronym for, uh, yeah. So she said to, uh, the, the acronym was Stop Taking Our Privileges. Uh, and she argued that the Equal Rights Amendment would stop women from getting better treatment under the law. And she used a lot of scare tactics. So she, you know, at the time in the mid-1970s, they, um, you know, anti-ERA activists would dress in army fatigues and literally splatter themselves in fake blood and come to protests. Um, so they'd be dripping in blood and they would say, you know, this, this amendment is going to force women to be on the front lines. They're going to have to register for the selective service. Um, so they use a lot of really violent language and really scary um, tactics to get women to fight against their own equality. And that has continued to this day. So the, the people who oppose the Equal Rights Amendment use pretty much anything they can get a hold of in the news or anything that's sort of a popular argument or a culture war argument. Um, these days, what they mostly focus on is trans rights uh, and uh, access to abortion care. So those mm -hmm. are kind of the ones, all the old ones are dead. You know, the, the Pentagon has already recommended that women be eligible for selective service. Gay marriage already exists. That was a big talking point against the Equal Rights Amendment in the 1970s. Hmm. Uh, and so all of these old arguments are kind of dead or moot. Um, and the ones that they really hone in on now are reproductive choice and freedom and uh, trans rights. I think Hulu has a – isn't it Hulu that has this show coming out about – all of this, yes. I'm so looking forward to it. Now, does Kate, Kate Blanchett right. yeah. is playing Phyllis Schlafly, which really can there be anything better in life? <laughs> <laughs> that that looks good, and certainly people are going to have lots of time to binge on on new shows. So yes, Mrs. America is what it's called. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm looking forward to that. So each episode of your podcast is a, a deep dive into. The history, this opposition that you're describing, potential impact of the ERA. How do you approach every episode? Because there, this is, you know, 100 years in the making, a lot to cover. 
Yeah. I mean, really what I wanted to do and kind of the goal of Ordinary Equality, this podcast about the ERA, is to reach people who were born after 1982. Mm. After that original uh, deadline had, had lapsed and we fell three states short. Because people like me and people in my generation have never heard of the Equal Rights Amendment. You know, you ask any millennial, you know, do you know about the Equal Rights Amendment? And most of them think, oh, yeah, that happened right? Like it's in the constitution or, um, I think that happened in the 1970s. Right. They're shocked uh, that it didn't they're pass. They're shocked. They're shocked. You know, the vast, vast majority of Americans think that gender equality is already in the constitution. And unfortunately they're wrong. So the main problem in ERA advocacy is actually helping people understand they don't have rights that they think they already do, which is actually a really, really difficult problem. And so I wanted to have the podcast reach out to younger people, people my age and younger than me. You know, I go to any ERA meeting, uh, of which I go to a lot, and I'm usually the youngest person in the room, and I'm almost Mm. 40. So I'm not, you know, I'm no teenager. Uh, And so it's really important to reach younger people and help them understand why fundamental constitutional equality is not Uh, part of our law. It does not exist. Um, So I I like to go all the way back and and tell people kind of how I got involved in the Equal Rights Amendment. Like you mentioned at the top of the show, I was raised Mormon. So I was raised being taught that the Equal Rights Amendment is evil. It's bad. It's going to destroy American life. It's going to destroy the family unit as we know it. Um, You know, all these really, really terrible uh, rumors and stories about the Equal Rights Amendment. And that's how I first learned about it. In fact, my mother and my grandmother were assigned by the Mormon Church to fight against the Equal Rights Amendment. Hmm. And that was sort of an organizing wow. tool that they they sort of pioneered, so to speak, uh, during the Equal Rights Amendment era. And then they went on to use for such things as Proposition 8 in California mm-hmm. and many other political issues that they've been involved in, mostly oppressing women and gay people. And so uh, that's how I first learned about the Equal Rights Amendment. But yeah. when I got to law school, I was like, wait a minute we're actually not in the Constitution, and it's actually really important that we be included in this document. Uh, And so I realized, you know, my own mother, my own grandmother had fought to keep us out of the Constitution. Mm. Uh, And then I realized how how just drastically and desperately we actually need it. Um, You have such an extraordinary personal story. And I'm I'm curious, as, as a child growing up in the church, When you were imagining what it was going to be like to be an adult woman, like what I imagine that it looked very different from how things ended up turning out for you. What did that look like for you? Yeah. Um, Well, I certainly didn't imagine it was going to be a queer lawyer living in New York City uh, (laughs) fighting for women's rights. But here we are. Um, So, you know, actually, it was strange for me because my parents are converts to Mormonism. And so, you know, they met those missionaries with those tags that you see in Book of Mormon musical, <laughs> and they said, yes, they they converted to Mormonism. Mm-hmm. And so while I was raised inside the church, I, they actually weren't. Mm. Uh, and so I had this mix of both cu- cultural Mormonism and doctrine and, you know, their perspectives as sort of these outsiders. Uh, so my mom was actually a lawyer, which is very, very, very frowned upon in, in Mormon culture. Women are taught uh, 
by the church leaders explicitly to never seek uh, higher education. And if you do, it's only because your husband might die someday. And so you need a backup. Basically, you have to have a backup degree Mm -hmm. in case you ever have to work outside the home, which is very, very frowned upon. And so, you know, my mom was a lawyer and she was a practicing lawyer. And so I didn't really understand. Sometimes I felt ashamed in our culture because my mom worked outside the home, which was very, very bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was seen as, you know, she was wicked. She was selfish because she wasn't willing to give up her career. And so I faced this very strange stigma in this sort of niche community, which was, you know, your mom is bad because she's a lawyer. And so when I, you know, I fought those two tensions of like always, and I talk about this in the podcast, my mom does too, where she sort of like went above and beyond because she had this ambition. She wanted to be a lawyer. She's super smart, but she also really went way overboard in compensating. So she would, she's also like a quilter. She also scrapbooks. So she would be up (laughs) until like midnight sometimes scrapbooking all of our activities. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, she would sew our clothes. She sewed our clothes. Um, and outfits. She learned how to sew. She like really, really, really went extreme on the homemaking um, to sort of make up for the fact that she was this wicked lawyer, um, this lady lawyer, as they would call it. Um, Those scrapbooks probably are pretty cool, though, looking back on. Right? We have some dope (laughs) scrapbooks uh, as a result. And actually, she still still scrapbooks to this day. Um, In my my office, I have a bunch of scrapbooks of every vacation we've ever been on. Um, And so it's just a funny mix. And I – that's actually why – if you listen to the podcast, there's an episode where I interview uh, Phyllis Schlafly's daughter, Anne. Mm Mm-hmm. And Anne is now the leader of the Eagle Forum. And so she's like carrying the torch. Like she is still fighting the ERA. She is still fighting marriage equality. She is still very, very wildly conservative. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we actually have this strange conversation that's really interesting to listen to because I'm – the, the polar opposite of her in every way, uh, ideologically speaking. And she actually Googled me and was like, I don't think I'm going to do this interview. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, How'd you talk her into it? Yeah. Well, we actually had a pretty extensive back and forth. We had like email. She's like, I've looked up this woman on Twitter. She's like very pro-abortion. She's very you know, pro-ERA. And so at first she didn't she didn't want to do the interview, but I went back and forth with her. We had a pre-interview. We had to agree at, on the questions in advance. Like she was just really, really wary. But the way that I actually convinced her to do the interview was you are just like my mother and my grandmother mm. and all of these other women and I that I respect and admire, but I feel very, very differently then. Uh, and have a really different perspective. So I feel like we can actually have a productive conversation. And we did. It was it was actually strange to me how much we got along. Hmm. Um, I thought it would be much more combative. And there were some things that she said, as you'll hear in the interview, there were some things that were just troubling. Mm-hmm. Um, she said some very troubling things about trans people. Uh, she said that women basically choose to make less. And a lot of arguments that I think are just wrong. But we got along in this strange way. And at the end of the interview, we actually agreed to go out for tea (laughs) next time I'm in D.C., Um, Well, you're off the hook now, so that's good. Right? (laughs) But uh, it was weird because I think that's how I grew up. 
So I know women like her. I grew up with women like her. I was a woman like her Mm. at one point. And so I had this interesting interaction and perspective um, that I think is probably rare. That's incredible. So must listen episode. Any anything yeah. else that people should be sure to catch as they as they go back through your archives or you know what they can look forward to coming up? Um well actually the episode that released on St. Patrick's Day is an episode all about a man. Um not very many of the episodes are all about men. Thank you. Uh, it's about yes. time we had episodes about us. You're welcome. <laughs> it's it's about the time constitutional <laughs> equality was about men. <laughs> right? Um, which actually that's the interesting part about the Equal Rights Amendment is it says uh on the basis of sex. So it does cover gender uh gender bias against men. Uh, so don't worry, you're you're included. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't worried. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so I interviewed this incredible man. His name is Gregory Watson, and he actually did a paper on the Twenty Seventh Amendment, uh, the one that was ratified in 1992. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got a C grade on that paper, and he was so furious that he got the C grade on this paper that he decided to do basically a one man crusade to get that amendment ratified to prove his teacher wrong to say you see i was right it can still be uh in you know ratified and and integrated into the constitution and he was right it worked and eventually spoiler alert (laughs) uh he did get the grade changed so you know decades later uh he got the he he got the amendment integrated into the constitution he got it ratified basically single-handedly and then he got the grade changed. So it's it's an incredible story about one person who is was just on a mission to to amend the constitution. That's really and inspiring. And get a good grade. And get a good grade. He <laughs> was like, I am changing this grade. <laughs> Look, whatever motivates you, I I think I love stories like that. It's it's what inspires me because I I don't think people really appreciate the power and impact that they can have if if they uh, get out of their comfort zone a little bit and and do any kind of work for something that they believe in. So I love that story. Oh, I love it. And also, like, I think it proves we can change the Constitution. Most people think, you know, it's an old document. It hasn't been changed in a long time. It's impossible. But that is just not true. Um, the, you know, Article 5 of the Constitution gives a specific procedure. It is a very difficult procedure, mm-hmm. um, but there is a way and we can change the Constitution. And Gregory Watson proved that. I think Virginia voters also prove that because by I mean this the Virginia ratified the ERA because Virginia voters flipped the house so you know you can't even if you don't change the constitution and add an amendment you can still have a huge impact by by voting and and voting for people who care about the same things that you do. I mean, just think about it, though. Voting in their local elections for Virginia State House, which how many people know who their state representatives are? You know, it's right. it's it's not a ton of people. Um, but when you vote in those elections, some literally one of those one of those seats in Virginia previous to this year was a tie. And right. what, do you remember that it was oh, yeah. decided by a yeah mm-hmm. decided by uh, pulling a name out of a hat, and so one literal vote can change the course of the U.S. Constitution because they were the last state to ratify. And so until they flipped the Virginia House and got those leaders who were blocking equal rights, 
got them out of office, got took away their positions. Uh, you know, that vote in your local state representative can actually change the Constitution. It, it's, it's a direct tie. It's not even a stretch. So another plug for investing in these local legislatures um, that we certainly do at Swing Left and also knowing that the you know, little bit of money and volunteer hours goes a long way for those races and pays dividends up the ballot too. So, so important. Yeah, of course. Down ballot races are where it's at. Um, and uh, so it's my new speak, bumper sticker. <laughs> it's where it's at, kids. All right. Um, yeah. Well, Ordinary Equality is the podcast. Kate Kelly is the host. Thank you so much for joining us today and educating us on the Equal Rights Amendment. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And as Susan B. Anthony said, failure is impossible. We'll get this in the Constitution. Emmy and WGA award-winning TV writer and producer, Davi Waller is the creator and executive producer of the upcoming limited series, Mrs. America, starring Kate Blanchett, which debuts April 15th on FX on Hulu. Davi Waller, thank you so much for joining us. First of all, how are you doing during this pandemic? This is your home in Los Angeles, I take it? This is my home in, uh, in Santa Monica, yes. Um, I'm pretty introverted, so having to be home all day long and not see people is, I hate to admit it, <laughs> I'm thriving. <laughs> um, and, uh, but no, it's, it's obviously a very scary time and uncertain, and I'm sure it's having impacts on my psyche that I'm not even aware of and that I'll come to grips with in a few months. But for now, I'm actually, uh, thank God, being very productive and doing a lot of restorative yoga podcasts and uh, many Zoom happy hours. I had to, I had to finally quit doing the, the, the weekly happy hours. It was getting a little out of control. You can only make so many cocktails in one day. <laughs> Um, well, the show's coming out next week, and like the, I mean, in spite of all of that's happening, everybody's looking for something good to watch right now. So it seems uh, to be the silver lining. <laughs> so yeah, what what can they expect from Mrs. America? Well, if you want an escape from the crazy times we live in, you can go to the very gentle times of social upheavals of the 1970s, <laughs> where we, all we had was the Vietnam War and uh, the women's rights movement, and it was very calm. Um, you'll get an entertaining look at this battle over the Equal Rights Amendment that waged for 12 years. Our series ends in 1980. And you'll get a glimpse into one of the leaders of the backlash to the women's rights movement, Phyllis Schlafly, played by Kate Blanchett. So that's yeah. always a treat yeah. for that alone. And then the yeah. rest of the cast is equally incredible. So phenomenal cast. I remember when I first saw the commercial for this months ago, my husband was fast forwarding through ads. And I saw, I, like, I saw all the people who were in it, and I was like, "Wait, I know who they're supposed to be." You got to go back, and we're watching this commercial. And uh, oh my god, you actually watched a commercial? Uh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So I was so excited to see it. Why do you want to tell this story right now in this moment in time? It's funny actually because when I originally developed the series and sold it to FX Networks, it was uh, 2016, but before the 2016 election. Mm. So I, it was I think the 
we thought this would be an interesting time with a woman running for president uh, and possibly becoming president. What an interesting time to look at one of the greatest anti-feminists of our time. Uh, And I was actually writing a draft of the pilot in November 2016, like on election day. Wow. In my white outfit. (laughs) And (laughs) I just got to vote in. Um, And the next day I thought, well, I think the show is about so much more than the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, Suddenly these connections began to be made, I think for all of us, when in my mind about the ways in which what's happening in 2016 and beyond had its seeds in the 1970s and the part that Phyllis Schlafly played in that, which I would argue was um, her greater influence, not so much the Equal Rights Campaign, which Arguably, she had all these special interest groups, you know, behind her and helping her out. But mm-hmm. the the religious coalition she built with other denominations and how those those became the foot soldiers in the Reagan Revolution that to me really resonated with where we are today. And so I kind of pivoted the series to be about uh, how our political parties became realigned in the seventies mm-hmm. uh, and the fault lines developed between uh, socially liberal voters and socially conservative voters, which very much is keeping with the work that you do. Yeah, it's very, it's very, it's very relevant. Um, And so from, from the ads, it looks like Phyllis Schlafly is the central figure, but there are a whole lot of other women that are the focus as well. So who, who else is part of this story? So certainly she's the central figure and she's our way into it, but it's very much uh, evenly split between the world of the feminist leaders. Mm -hmm. And there were so many of them and they're all so fascinating and distinct and colorful. So I wanted each of them to have their due. So every episode I chose to rotate which character on the feminist side we focus on. So um, in, in the second episode, we introduce Gloria Steinem and her fight for abortion rights. In episode three, we focus on Shirley Chisholm's run for president uh, and the Democratic Convention of 72. In episode four, we pivot to Betty Friedan uh, and her place within the movement. Uh, we also have Jill Ruckelshaus, who is a Republican feminist. I really wanted to tell the story of you know, the death of bipartisanship and the feminist movement and the end of Republican feminism, which, uh, which is, was, uh, something I I hadn't heard that story, uh, prior to getting to researching this time period. Mm -hmm. And of course, Bella Abzug, the Congresswoman from New York, uh, who is just my mom's favorite character in the series. She's like, you better make sure you get someone good for Bella. She's very specific. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how's Margot Martindale for you? And is that kind (laughs) of... Yep. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll work. Yeah. Well, uh, there's been a ton said and written about Phyllis also and her opposition to the ERA and feminism in general, uh, a lot in her own words. Uh, what insights are we going to get about her and her motivations? You're right that she she was very prolific and wrote many 800 tome both books about. <laughs> um, I, I had to stop at Kissinger on the couch, which was literally over 800 pages about oh Kissinger. <laughs> Just no one should have to read that. Um, I would say this series you'll get a little a lot more of her personal biography. We spent a lot of time in her home with her husband Fred Schlafly, uh, her six kids. Uh, her mother moved in with her in the 70s. So we do uh, look into sort of where she came from and what what kind of events of her childhood may have influenced her. Um, you know, 
not a lot is written about her friendships with women. I spoke to a couple of women who were Schlafly Eagles back in the 70s, and it seemed like she had more of a teacher-student relationship with her friends. So we we had we worked on creating comps of characters who could represent those homemakers. Um, but I think really just, I, I hope to show more of her personal biography. And of course, we're imagining what conversations happened that weren't written about in between the events that we we know about and we could study. And I also... We read, I read a lot of interviews that she gave and inter- she did a very lengthy interview with like the Lincoln Library. So really weaving that to the political story. So it's not a series of women lobbying with, you know, legislatures with bread because there's only so many times you can show that before you're like, I get how you lobby legislatures. I never get tired just, of that. But. Oh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> how many different kinds of breads could they bring? <laughs> Um, well, one thing that I'm really interested in seeing portrayed is um, uh, there was a lot of tension among the the feminists who were the leaders of the women's rights movement and who were fighting for the ERA. And that's very typical in any social uh, change movement. During your research and writing, were you able to gain any insight into why those of us who fight for the same things end up butting heads so much? What I learn from reading about these women and watching their videos is what drives all of them is passion and a true conviction that they are fighting for something so essential and so existential. Uh, And I think anytime you get four people, whether men or women in a room who believe so strongly about their positions and believe it's existential, they're going to butt heads. They're not Mm going to always agree on the strategy or the right way forward or how how to balance pragmatism with idealism. I mean, that's something that I really Mm -hmm. learned from these women was you have the idealists, you know, the Shirley Chisholm's, then you have the pragmatists like Bella Abzug. Mm -hmm. And both are valid ways of moving forward and, 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 and creating change in the world, but they tend to butt heads. And I think that's just natural. We're seeing in politics today that yeah. those are all the same arguments that we're having during the primary season. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, hopefully people will be able to take a, a lot out of, out of this great show, be entertained by it, but also um, take these lessons to heart too, as they hopefully, uh, at least our listeners are, are doing activism and volunteering. That's my hope is that, um, you know, the show's about grassroots activism and, and uh, how important that is to shaping society. And, and I hope it inspires all of us. Like the one feeling that I had working on this is feeling galvanized. Like everyone can make a difference and it really does matter to have your voices heard and to get out there. You can't ever be complacent. Mm-hmm. Love that. So um, I'm also interested, you were a writer and producer on AMC's Mad Men and mm-hmm. most recently yeah. uh, AMC's Halt and Catch Fire. Both great uh, period pieces. And of course, Mrs. America is also an amazing looking period piece. What drew you to working on period pieces? And what did you learn from those first two shows that you were able to apply to this one? You know, I was a history major in college. I didn't follow the traditional route of, you know, playwriting or MFA, getting your MFA. And so I've always been interested in history and the stories in history that resonate with me. Um, and I think that's probably what drew me to those shows in addition to them being just beautifully written shows. I mean, as a TV writer, you just want to get on staffs of shows that you admire and are a big fan of. Um, what I learned from both those shows um, is the importance of every detail on the screen. When you are creating uh, a world set in a different time period, 
it could very easily, if you don't do your research and you don't go deep on every detail, it could start feeling like presentational or like an idea about a time period as opposed to giving it a very lived in feeling. So I really came to understand the importance of detailed research and every detail, not just in the writing of the scripts and the direction, but also visually, the production design, the costumes, the wigs, Mm. everything has to look authentic or the whole experience starts to feel a little off. And I I brought all that knowledge uh, to Mrs. America. And your dad is a poli-sci professor? Is that yes, right? Yes. My yeah. dad is a political scientist who mm-hmm. special, teaches American government and constitutional law in the Supreme Court. Uh, and so he definitely was one of my early influences. And the reason that I was looking to write a, a show set in the world of politics, and I wanted to be centered on women because so many of my favorite movies were centered on men. And I was like, what are women doing in politics? What's happening there? <laughs> Awesome. Did he did he weigh in on your scripts or ideas he at all? He did. He was like my oh, free cool. consultant. I would call him like, talk to me about the 1972 Democratic Convention in Miami. Why was McGovern <laughs> such a loser? What happened there? <laughs> you remember Shirley? And he, he just could rattle off like every detail. It was unbelievable. So I would definitely call him all the time. What an amazing so I'm resource. I'm happy to give him a little credit. He's <laughs> an amazing resource, yeah. That's very cool. Well, we can't wait to watch. That's on um, April 15th on FX on Hulu. Thank you so much for chatting with us and telling us about it. Thanks for having me. Stay safe and healthy. And the work you do is incredible. I am just so happy to have been on your show. Thank you. Oh, thank Thank you you so much. Thanks for joining us today and for taking action. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. We want to hear from you. Let us know how you're doing during the coronavirus pandemic. What brings you hope? Tweet to us at bluesboysteve. And at Mariah underscore Craven. Or you can email us at podcast at swingleft.org. Thank you to our friends at Dimcast. If you don't subscribe to us yet and you listen to us, please just go ahead and subscribe Come on. and review us on Apple, wherever you get your pods. Do it. Don't forget to tell your friends about us this tell month. Them. Share on social media <laughs> and use the hashtag HowWeWin2020. And you can always check out our page and see all the other great podcasts we've recorded at swingleft.org slash podcast. And you'll also be able to sign up and volunteer there. Especially do that. Sign up to volunteer. Hey, stay home, stay safe, and we'll be back with more next Wednesday. Everybody should definitely come to Baltimore. We had to find a different way to put our passion to work. If you love your job and love what you do, every day goes on as you want it. I think how we look at art can be world-changing. All of these businesses are taking precautions to make sure that everyone is safe. We're ready. Masks, distancing, and frequent cleaning are just the beginning. Learn more at Baltimore.org.